What it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, we're reading to your hearing. It says, so let's not get tired of doing good, doing what is good. And at just the right time, somebody said the right time. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, for that reason, whenever we have the opportunity, somebody say the opportunity. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, but especially to those who are in the family of faith. Amen? You may be seated. This is going to be our second sermon in this series that we have simply entitled The Opportunity. Somebody say The Opportunity. And uh, we have been defining opportunity this way. It's a, a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. Now the definition says it's the appropriate time or favorable time. In the Bible that's normally referred to seasons. Now, in the Greek, I said that there are basically two words used to exemplify the time, time that is connected with the word opportunity. I said one was chronos, where we get the word chronological from, for chronological time, order of time. In other words, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, January, February, March, spring, summer, winter, fall, you know, Spring, summer, fall, winter. Things come in order. If I'm 69 today, I'm not going to skip 70 and just jump to 71. And I can't go back to 60. No matter how bad I may want to, time just does not go back. And so, therefore, we have to understand that sometimes we deal with situations as they come in a chronological manner. There are other times the word talk about kairos time. Time talks about moments or occasions of time. In other words, in the midst of our chronos, there will be many opportunities for us to do kairos. There will be many moments that you can find in your life in this day where you can do something that will make a difference in someone's life. I said, in life, you know, we were pre presented with opportunities where we can do good or evil. On last week, we saw when King David was presented with the opportunity to kill King Saul. At that time, he wasn't king. David wasn't. But in that moment of time, David's men saw an opportunity to kill and David saw the opportunity to forgive and to vindicate his name. And so people can look at the same set of circumstances and come away with two different opinions, two different sets of opportunities. And we close by using the religious leaders and Judas to uh, show us from an object lesson 
that just like we are encouraged to seek opportunities to do good, there are people who are agreeing and looking for opportunities to do evil. Amen? So today, go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter uh, 10. And here we find Jesus preparing his disciples for persecution. Somebody say persecution. persecution. See, he was about to send them out into the world in order to spread the good news. And, and I want us to read this passage with a question in mind. Do we truly take advantage of the opportunities that we have to tell others about Jesus? Do we take advantage of those moments in time when we can say something, we can do something, or even when we are being persecuted for what we believe in, do we take advantage of those times and give God and Christ the glory? You know, oftentimes in the midst of opposition, there will be opportunities for you to tell somebody about Jesus. And so often I think we walk past and we miss those moments in time where we could make the difference in somebody's life. So here, as Jesus was getting ready to send his disciples out, his disciples out, look what he says. He says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 10, he says, look, I am sending you out as, somebody say sheep, among wolves. In other words, I'm sending you in the company where you're going to be surrounded by people that got the spirit of wolves. Now that don't seem like a good deal to send a sheep in the midst of I mean that looked like a losing proposition for the sheep. But Jesus was letting them know that in the midst of what looked like a losing proposition, you got to see it as an opportunity to spread the word. So he says, so as I send you out, Cliff, so be shrewd, mean wise or prudent, as snakes. Now, you know, normally snakes in the Bible get a negative connotation. Because we already, you know, even though the Bible never said in the garden that was a snake. But somehow the snake got the rap. And because of that, the serpent, the old serpent, they say, well, the snake, the serpent, the snake has been getting a bad rap ever since. And rightly so. You know, you don't want to be that snake in the... And most of us don't even give snakes the benefit of the opportunity. We just don't. You know, you're in the yard, you see a snake, you go get the shovel hole, you ain't going to say, good snake, good snake. And just a little, some people even told you, that's just a little green garden snake. Ain't going to do nothing, ain't going to hurt you at all. But he was a snake. And in our minds, snakes got to go. But here Jesus tells us to be shrewd as snakes, but we got to be harmless as a dove. You got to be wise when you go out there but at the same time, you got to be harmless. You can't go out in the midst of snakes and act like, like a snake. Amen? Amen? So he tells them next, he says, Cliff, he says, beware. As you go out there, you got to be cautious. You got to, you know, you can't walk around sleepwalking. You got to be aware of what's going on in your surroundings. He says, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged, I mean beaten, with whips 
in the synagogue, in the church, there's a good possibility you can get a whooping. In the church, you come in here to lift up the name of Jesus, and then you get a beat down. In the so religious persecution takes place right here in the in the church. Then when you get outside the church cliff, he said the government could mess with you too. He says, you will stand trial before, the gov before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. So we saw the church, we saw the government, and later on, we don't have time to get to that today, but you read on, he would talk about your family. So you could get opposition from different places. And in the midst of that opposition, you're going to have to see an opportunity to represent the Lord. He says, now look, how did I know this? When you are arrested, not if, but when, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words. Somebody say the right words. The right words at the right time. And you know we learned yesterday about how powerful words are in our class on emotional intelligence. The problem is we didn't learn the right. We got the right words, but sometimes we don't have the right time. See, we can say the right thing at the wrong time. And, and God is saying, when you're dealing with people, sometimes the words got to be right and the time got to be right. The word got to be spoken in the right season. Talking about time. Sometimes you can speak a word out of season, even though it's the right word, but it won't fulfill its purpose. Because you're speaking it at the wrong time. So he says, God will give you the right words at the right time. He said, now look, for it will not be you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So in other words, we have to look at this as the word is confirming in our spirit that whenever you stand before people on behalf of Jesus, he's not telling us Cliff, we, don't, we shouldn't study and prepare to preach and teach and, and go out and witness. He's not saying that. He's saying that if you have put in due diligence, you don't have to worry about having a memory lapse because of who you're talking to. Whenever you walk before them and you're there for my cause, I will give you the words to say at the right time and in the right way. You know, when I was uh, in the military, when I used to take this scripture out of context, I used to put it in the pretext that will fit my situation. I used to use it all the time. Now, I, I think I still stand on that truth. Hey, even if I got to go in and talk to the commander and he catch me off guard and I'm not prepared, I hadn't done a, the research on it, I don't have my brief in front of me, but if he's talking about my job, I don't need the brief with me because my job is inside of me. So no matter what he asks me, I'm going to believe God's going to give me what I need to satisfy his question. 
And so I used to use that, and that used to give me boldness whenever I talked to people that outranked me. Because I believed that whatever they needed to know, I had it already on the inside of me. And all I had to do is rely on the Holy Spirit to bring it to my remembrance. And so often in those opportunities, we get there and get shell-shocked, get scared. When we ought to be walking in a spirit of boldness. Because you know what's on the inside of you. You know who's on the inside of you. And therefore, you just rely on him. He's saying, look, I'm giving you a defense attorney that's going to tell you everything you need to. Good God Almighty. So when you got that type of confidence, that type of assurance, when it's time to speak about Jesus, there's something on the inside of you that'll give you what you need to represent him. All we got to do is be bold enough to say what the Spirit of the Lord is leading us to say. Amen? Amen. Now look at this. Let's go to the book of Luke real quick. We're going to be here for a few minutes. Luke chapter 4. Those of you who were at our session yesterday, you know, John did a good job of summarizing this in his story. But, you know, I'm going to have to slow it down a little bit and teach it because he, he did a great job. So this is refreshing. As he was talking about this yesterday, my spirit was just jumping up and down. Because I'm saying, now, Lord, me and this man hadn't spoke since the last time we spoke on Sunday. And we didn't definitely talk about what he was going to present. Not to that degree. And when he opened up to this scripture and started using this to tie to emotional intelligence, I said, man, God, that's, that ain't just a coincidence. That's the spirit of the Lord saying, yeah, you own the something with this one. Amen. Y'all in, in Luke chapter 4? And from this deeply insightful account of Jesus' temptation by Satan in the wilderness, Luke wants us to learn a profound truth, that when it comes to the opportunity that will come before us, the opportunities that are out there, the devil will also come and take advantage of an opportunity. It lets us know that we have to be watchful after the Lord has given us a, vi a victory just as much as we have to be watchful before we go in the fight. That's right. And so often, we are watchful going in, but then once we stand up and declare that the Lord has delivered me, the Lord has set me free, the Lord has given me the victory, then all of a sudden we let our guard down because we don't realize that that guy that you got the victory over, he is still looking for another to take you out. And so if you have that mindset, you always know that around the next corner, he's standing there. Around the next conversation, he's waiting on it. Always looking for the... So look at this. Y'all in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13 says, look, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from, from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, in the wilderness, where he was tempted, somebody say tempted, tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became Hungry, very hungry. Now look at this. 
So we see here that Jesus still has some of the same natural needs that we have. Even though he was the son of God, when he didn't eat, he got hungry. Amen. And when he get hungry, got hungry, you know, the enemy didn't give him no breaks. Because the enemy knows that I can catch you at your weakest moment. And I can take advantage of that opportunity. So the devil didn't cut him a deal because he said, hey, look, that dude is hungry. That means he's vulnerable now. And when the devil tempt you, he's going to tempt you in an area that you are. He ain't going to come at your strong suit. He too smart for that. He going to come at your weakest moment. He going to appeal to that part of you that is very natural as we look at life. So look at it. Now, he was hungry in the wilderness, and he was fast for four days. Now, the good thing about this is look at this. The first Adam was put in a garden, and all his needs were met. But he got tempted, and he failed the test. The second Adam was put in a wilderness. Not a God with all the fruit and everything you want to eat around you. He was put in a wilderness. And he passed. Sometimes you may be better off in your testing in the wilderness than in the garden. Because sometimes in the garden of life, we let our God, because everything I need is all around me. And so, therefore, I can just relax and take ease. My needs are met. I got food. I got a car. I got a house. I got all those that my needs are. And sometimes when our needs get met to a certain degree, we are never satisfied. We want to pursue the next thing. And the devil know that. He's going to always have you chasing something. The next thing. Even though God done met your you still want something else. You want the next thing. And as you pursue the next thing, sometimes you'll sell your soul for the that wasn't in my notes. I don't know where that came from, but I'm going to take credit that the spirit dropped it in right there. We got to be careful when our needs are met. Because sometimes the devil can see through us and know that we are chasing stuff rather than chasing God. So he was tempted. So he ate nothing and he was very hungry. Look what the devil said. Then the devil said to him, if, somebody say if. Now if you don't know who you are, people can paint you to be anybody. I mean, if you don't know who you are, you give me the ability to define you. And so, therefore, if I can define you, I can control you. So you got to be careful that you don't allow people to define you because they can speak into you how they see you, and they will be defining you, and you will start acting like what they are So you can't go through these if moments where you don't know who you are. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, Brother Purdue, you got to know who you are, and you got to know who you belong to. 
Because once you know that, then when the enemy comes to do what he's designed to do, you don't have to be confused about who you are. The world is in a state now where a lot of young kids don't know who they are. And so therefore, they're allowing people on the internet to define them. And so now they're coming up with terms trying to define their gender. So now I'm non-binary. Because, you know, the world is not binary. You know, there's no right and wrong. There's a lot of nuance to go along with right and. There's no male or female. There's a lot of nuance to go with that. There's no light and darkness. There are a lot of gray area. And if you don't know who you are, someone would define you in the gray area. Uh, Y'all didn't want to hear that today. Again, that wasn't in my notes either. But, but, but he was tempted, and then the devil says, if you are the son of God, change this stone into a loaf of bread. Now, he knew exactly what Jesus needed. He didn't say, go get you a camel and ride out of here. He said, take this stone and turn it into bread. I know you're hungry, so therefore, it sounds like a good deal. You got the power to do it. I know you got the power, and I know the Father will do it for you. So now just take this stone. Satisfy your hunger. Satisfy your flesh, and forget about what your Father said, but let your flesh just turn this stone into a loaf of Your physical needs. Didn't Maslow talk about those? I think in one of my psychology classes, there's something like the hierarchy of physical needs, you know, da da da, the five things. Yeah, the, the devil must have took that course. The devil understands hierarchy of needs. So he know if you're hungry, he's gonna bring you something that you can eat. Y'all be looking for him to tip y'all and stuff that y'all don't need. You ain't hungry for that. So you can't want, oh, I got victory over that. Well, you ain't hungry. You ain't hungry. You, you, you know, you ate yesterday. You ate this morning. You ain't hungry. So why would he come at you with something that you already got and your needs have already been? I'm going to appeal to that part of you that's hungry. But that's the same thing that God tells us. If you hunger and thirst after, he'll fill you. And so if you hunger and thirst after evil, you're going to be filled. The principle works both ways. And the devil understands that. So he says now, Jesus take that and comes back at him with the scripture. But Jesus told him, no, with emphasis, the scripture says, people do not live by bread alone. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that we should never eat. He's just saying that when God got you on an assignment, your physical needs got to be secondary to what he got you to. If God got you fasting, you got to stay on the fast and forget about your physical needs. 
So when God give us an assignment, we have to stay on that assignment, realizing that someone is going to come and tempt us to get off the assignment. So he says, people do not live by bread alone. Jesus used scripture to combat the devil. We're going to see that example play out several more times here. So my challenge to you is that whenever you're being challenged, whenever you're being tempted, you got to know what the Bible says. You got to have some understanding of what the words say. Because if you don't know what the words say and see the word as being truth, then you'll fall for anything. Because eating bread when you're hungry makes sense. Man, who would turn down the bread? But at this season, in this moment in time, God is saying you got to forsake the bread because there's something greater before you. Don't let your flesh cause you to fall for the okey-doke and get you into something that God don't want you to. Verse 5, the devil don't give up. Then the devil took him up and revealed. Somebody said reveal. See, the devil can give you a visual experience. He can let you see things. And we know that a lot of things enter into our body through our eye gate. And so therefore, that's why we have to guard our eyes. So he said, now look, the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, in that Kairos moment of time, the devil took him up and said, look at all those kingdoms out there. And you know what, Cliff? The I see it, and sometimes the I want it. Amen. Y'all ain't, ain't got to look so serious right there. I mean, he, this is Jesus. This ain't you. This is Jesus right now we're talking about. But, but uh, the principle is still true. The I so the devil is always going to be bringing stuff before your, your eyes. See, a lot of times we see a nice dish before we smell it. Before we smell how good it is, sometimes out of this we can, you know, we can be shopping on one aisle and see something all the way on another aisle and we want to go I'm trying to reveal to you how the enemy works and if you know how he works in his scheme then it'll be, you'll be better equipped to deal with him when your moment of temptation and trial comes so the devil took him up and revealed to him the kingdom's of the world in a moment of time. Then look what he says. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give you, give to anyone I please. So sometimes the stuff that you get that you think is good and great may not come from God. The devil can give you some good and great things too. And then Cliff, he can Give you some authority over those things. <laughs> Y'all don't want to hear that. So the devil was trying to say, look, Jesus, I can give you some things, and then I can give you some uh, 
And a lot of times, and, and I think John said this yesterday, a lot of times it's that authority thing that get a lot of folk in. Now, Jesus was eventually going to have authority over it all, but it wasn't the right the devil was trying to get him to receive authority that it was not time for him to get. And as a result of that, that's why some people are so power hungry. They'll do anything to get power and authority. And sometimes the devil is using power and authority to lure them into a situation that will cause them to go against God. God ain't got no problem with you being ambitious. Want your next level, whatever that is. But you got to get it his way. You can't violate scripture in order to call it a blessing. Oh, this is a blessing from the Lord, but how did you get it? What did you do to get that blessing? I made it to the top of the ladder, Cliff, but I don't tell all the people that I stepped on to get there. Oh, the Lord done blessed me. I have arrived. And all those dead bodies. And so when God elevates you, it's going to be the right way. And once he puts you there, nobody can take you down. But if man puts you there, the same man that put you there will put you down. Oh, God, help me. So the devil got some things that he can offer us and he can show us some things and if we're not careful, it will come with a price. How do I know that? Because uh, he says this. In verse 6, I'm going to read that again. He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority, and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if the devilish catch if that little condition is yours, Cliff, if you will worship, it comes with a price. Getting to the top of the ladder the wrong way comes with a price. And sometimes we don't want to pay the price once we done got there. But the piper won't his pay. Make no mistake about it. The person that put you there, <laughs> and look at Jesus' reply again with Scripture. Verse 8. The Scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only God ain't got no room for the devil and you cooperating with each other and then you say you belong to him. You serve a jealous God. Make no mistake about it. Amen. And some of y'all have been in marriages where you married to a jealous person. Just think about it. Just think about it. You don't have to be too spiritual. Just think. Just think about it. Jealous folk are possessive. 
And God said he's a jealous. He want to possess you and don't want you to worship no. And what happens is, is we don't when we don't understand that, we have a tendency to make gods out of other things. And then they become our God. And then now God has to get jealous. Someone wrote a sermon many, many years ago that you don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God. So knowing that I'm not going to let the devil tempt me to do something that I know is going to violate God's command to me. And what we got to understand is that Jesus again used the scripture to combat the devil. Look at this, verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, the holy city, to the highest point of the temple, the pinnacle, and said, that word again, if you are the son of God, jump off. If you don't know who you are, you may be tempted. So what do I prove by jumping off if I know who I, I am, the son of God? <laughs> that just don't make sense. I know that. So I don't need to jump off to prove who I am. I know I'm the son of God. And then so now if I know who I am, then I don't put myself in a position where I tempt God. Oh, y'all got to get this. This was pretty, pretty serious here. He says, now, for the scripture says, the devil, this is the devil talking. The Bible says the devil knows the scripture. So he will come at you with it, but he's going to misrepresent, maybe twist him just a little bit. But it's going to sound good if you don't know. It sounds scripture. So look what he says. Sounds so true. He says, for the scripture says, he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Good God Almighty. Kim took Psalms 91, 11 and 12 accounts. Hey, you know the Bible does say this. But that psalmist was written to give us confidence that when we stand for the truth of God and we represent him, he said, when I put you out in the battle, I will protect you. But I'm not going to put you out there and, and allow you to tempt me in a situation I didn't put you in. I can say God said he will protect me anywhere I walk in my life, but I'm not going to tempt him by walking across the street with a car coming and say, God, I know you're going to protect me, so therefore, I'm just going to step out in front of this car going 45 miles an hour and believe that before it hit me, you're going to stop it. You're going to probably end up in the hospital or dead. Because that scripture is not designed for us to test and tempt God. He's saying if you end up in some situation that you are not aware of and things come at you, I will protect. Paul put his hand in the fire, didn't know it was a snake in the fire. He didn't put his hand and say, I'm going to tempt God and just reach in this fire. And no, he put his hand in there to warm up and the snake And everybody who saw it was waiting for him to but God because he didn't tempt 
So Jesus responded, the scripture also say, you must not test the Lord your God. So we don't get so spiritual that we're going to test God. Amen. Some people do that. And I ain't got no problem. And some of them live, some of them die. Amen. Amen. Because that, it was big, and some religions still do it, for people to handle snakes. You know, they handle snakes by faith. So they get these rattlesnakes, and you got faith. You're supposed to go grab one by the tail and believe that if he bites you, God going to protect you. Because you got faith that can move mountains. You got faith to believe that you can walk on water. So now you're going to say, okay, God, I got faith and I trust you and I got bit. Some people died. And so the answer was, Major died. He had no faith. He should have never put his hand in that first place. He didn't have no faith. Cliff lived. Cliff got great faith. I'm glad Pastor Bowden can't get none of y'all to do that. I don't believe. I, I just don't believe I can bring some rattlesnakes in here. And I say, all y'all who got great faith, mighty faith, strong faith. Faith that you can speak to mountain. Come on up. We're going to get in this line. We're going to believe God for it, Cliff. <laughs> he said greater works that you're going to do. Herb, come on up here. I got a greater work. Go ahead and kiss Miss Robin right now. <laughs> just, just in case my work don't. <laughs> in case this work, greater work costs you your life. So, so my point is this, is that you got to understand that we can't do things to test God. We can't do things and then think that if those things have natural consequences, that they're going to go away because you said God said do. I, I use this example all the time. I think we've got a number of adults in here. You know, you can go out and, and fornicate. There's a good possibility if you do it unprotectedly, protected, you're going to get pregnant after a period of time. So you can't go out there and say, I trust God. <laughs> no, because there are going to be some natural consequences. Now, God can forgive you for that, but he ain't going to reverse the concert. Oh, Lord, I hope y'all, y'all forgive me if I went too deep right there. I just got too, just got too. But I'm trying to paint a picture in your mind. And y'all understood that very clear. I can see the antenna just going, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> we got it. Okay, last term. Go to my last term. We had too much fun. And this is not an easy message to teach, so I figured I had to kind of make it fun so y'all would stay with me because I know attention spans is questionable when you get into certain parts of the Bible and start reading. Amen? Last turn. Luke, Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 44. Now get this. In the previous verses in this chapter, there were times of preparation where Jesus was preparing to die. Then there was a time of celebration where the people were just happy and he was celebrating the fact that who he was and who they thought he was. But now the time comes for lamentation, where we find Jesus 
weeping and crying over Jerusalem. Now he was making his entry into the city, Jerusalem, the city of peace. But the same people who lived in the city did not recognize the prince of peace. And because they did not recognize the prince of peace, they missed an opportunity to be saved. And what I want us to see is that just like Jesus wept, man, when we look at this in a more deeper and perplexing way, the question may be, is do we truly weep when we see people that we know are missing the opportunity? You got family members that you know are missing the opportunity. You got friend, people that you work with in your circle circle. Some people that you communicate on your Facebook account, your Instagram account. They are missing the opportunity. And when you know that they are missing the opportunity to be saved, man, that ought to make you weep. That ought to hit our hearts to say, man, I walked by that person and God gave me the opportunity. It's one thing if they reject your message. It's another thing if you don't share and give your message. If they reject your message, their blood is on their head. But if you don't give the message, their blood is on you. So you got to look at this as God has given you the responsibility to reach out to people in their various stages or states of life who don't know him. Because you realize you don't want that person to miss the opportunity to be saved. And so often we get intimidated, we get afraid, and we just assume somebody else is going to do it. But God entrusted that assignment to all of us. Amen. So let me read this real quick. He says in verse 41, But as they came closer to Jerusalem, and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Two times in the Bible they say Jesus wept. Here and for Lazarus. So you know something is serious when the Savior of the world, who is riding in now, weeps. Everybody around him, Cliff, celebrate, but he weeps. He may have known, Cliff, that a week later, some of them same folk that were celebrating and said, you know, Hosanna, going to say crucify. All because they didn't get the message of salvation. When the Prince of Peace came and delivered the message, they were blinded by the prince of this world. And they could not receive. There are people that you know, and, and you know, I w- I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because you're sitting here today, that you have your blindness have been taken off. But there are people that you know who still being blinded by the prince and power of the air of this world. And because your eyes have been opened and you can see now, 
you have an obligation to try to shed light on them so that they can see also. And the Bible talks about light a lot of times, not always talking about what we physically see with our eye. It's talking about opening people's minds up. And in order to open people's minds up and change their mind, you got to be able to communicate with them. And you can't do that if you always see the people that God is sending you to as the enemy instead of someone in need of salvation. So he began to weep. And these are his words. He says, how I wish. I mean, he got a strong desire. And so he said, how I wish today. Somebody shout today. Somebody shout today again. He says, I wish today, in this moment in time, right now, there's still time for him, Cliff, how I wish to. Not tomorrow, but to. And so many people have always been putting off today for tomorrow, thinking that tomorrow is promised to them. And guess what? It is not. We have a hope for tomorrow. We have an expectation that we're going to be here tomorrow. But tomorrow is not promised. There's no guarantee. So therefore, we have to take advantage of to. Your uncle is not guaranteed to be here tomorrow. And if God done placed you on his heart, him on your heart today, you need to take advantage of the opportunity to. I'll call him next week. I'll call her next week. I'll say this to them next week. And if they go next week, you're going to have to live with that mistake the rest of your life. And the bad thing, Cliff, time don't go backwards, man. You're just going to have to deal with that and that that mistake won't cause you to lose your mind. But if you know that's the opportunity that God has given you, you got to be bold enough to do it. He says, how I wish today that you, are, you of all people Y'all my folks. Y'all my peeps. I'm I'm looking out for the rest of the world, but but you, you my family. You my daughter. You my son. You my family. Man, I wish everybody, but, but you of all people need to be saved. You, you, you leaving home, going and passing out tracts to everybody all over the community, all in striving, but you don't have a tract for your own. He says, you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. The devil got them blinded. He says this, before long, your enemies will build ramparts, walls, against your walls, and encircle you, and close in on you from every side. Jesus was being prophetic there. Some say some 40 years later, all that happened when they rebelled against the Romans. The Romans came in and encircled the city, scrolls them in there for so long, and over 600,000 people die. All because they did not understand who the Prince of Peace was. They thought that he was going to be this this conquering king that was going to fight 
against the Romans. And since he didn't do it, they thought they had to do it. And their lack of understanding caused people their lives. So therefore, we got to understand that sometimes when people don't understand something, they make decisions based on ignorance, and it can cause them their and it's our job to be like Paul and say, brother, aunt, I will not have you. You ain't going to live around me and be ignorant. You ain't going to live here and pretend you never heard the truth. That's the only thing that gives me peace of mind with my kids. Because I raised girls. At a certain point in time, I had to have the talk. It wasn't easy, but I knew what life was going to present at 14, 15, 16 years old. Not because of them, I just knew how we boys act. So it was my job to school them on how the boys would be. So I had to reveal every secret that the boy going to use. Every trick, every trade, I'm going to tell you them all. And I'm telling you this not for my good, but for your good. And also for my good in this small way, that if you should go out there and this happened to you, I can go to sleep at night. You get pregnant out of wedlock, I ain't going to be walking around being the guilty dad. I wish I should have, could have, had, done, done. No. We sit down, and I told him, this is how the game is played. And a boy is a boy is a church boy, hood boy, boy. <laughs> he in the choir with you? Boy. <laughs> Meet you at your locker? Boy. Carry your books? But at the end of the day, the boy is a wolf. At the end, <laughs> of the day. He's a wolf. And if you're not wise as a you're going to be wolf bait. Now I know that's tough talk, but I'm telling you if you got children, the wolf already talking to them. So you better get your two cent in before the wolf get his 98%. I just don't know the right time. Pray. It's an opportune time today. He's 14 years old. She's 15 years old. Today. And so when we miss those opportunities, we can have become grandparents too soon. And ain't nothing wrong with that if it happens. But now you can love them and not be guilty. 
It's one thing to have your name saved, but it's another thing to be guilty that I didn't tell his mama. And so that's what I hope you get out of this. You don't want to be guilty of not telling Uncle Bobo that he at least need to know Jesus. And then now if something should happen, I believe your heart will be a lot more settled and your conscience will be at ease. He told them that, hey, you're going to be encircled and you're gonna, they're going to close in you on you from every side. When the enemy is after somebody, he's going to come after them from all He's going to choke off everything that can supply life to them. That's why in combat, you surround a city. So you keep everybody in and, and you don't let nobody else come in. Because coming in could be bringing them what they need. So I got to keep everything out. And see, that's why I tell my daughter, look here, when a person is trying to isolate you from your family, and put a circle around you and won't let you talk to certain people. You can't do this. Your friends got to change and all of that. You need to be on the lookout. Because that's not how God will have you to operate. The enemy encircle you to destroy you. And that's what Jesus will reveal them. They're going to encircle you. And they're going to surround your city. They're going to starve you out. And now the result of that, people are going to die. Look at this, last verse. They will crush you into the ground. When you mess up, it's a good possibility your children are going to suffer too. So it's a good possibility if you don't get Uncle Bobo to thinking about Jesus, his children may not think about. Because he is the only example they see most of the time. And so therefore, he said, they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Why? Because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Man, that's all you need to share with somebody. Man, if you miss this opportunity... The enemy is going to take you out. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. But what I want you to tell them also, not just the bad side of what the enemy is going to do, you need to let them know that, hey, you ain't too nasty. You ain't too dirty. You ain't so deep in the mud that God won't come down and pick you up. And so often we forget that part of the message that, 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 that can help them instead of the message that hinders them when we tell them, you know, what God going to do to them while they're down there. And we forget to tell them, hey, he'll pick you up. You know, he'll come down even in your stink and pick you up. And so we got to be mindful of that. And I just want to, I know this was kind of a low-key message today. I hope you was thinking about some things. But man, people's lives are valuable. And we don't want someone that we know and love to miss the opportunity.
Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, if you will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.